morning. Good morning. Gosh, Sunday morning arrived again. Welcome back to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. This is a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people who beyond who share with us their experiences, their choices and consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. Now, this week's show on Stay in the Loop with Lucy is talking about HSC or the baccalaureate or high-stress situations and how they can offer life skills beyond the insanity of the study and the exams and the results. As a parent, I have supported my um, two of my own teenagers through the HSC and supported others through my work. I've observed and learned a great deal from listening to them, um, of what they have to share. And this forms part and parcel of the support that I'm now going to offer back to you. As a parent and as an adult observing it, it is a whole different kettle of fish to a young person living through it. And having lived through similar situations ourselves in our own lives, we bring a certain amount of baggage to the now support that we offer others. So let's kick off uh, the, the largest and most obvious bulbous spot on the face of the HSC and start with stress and the pressure that comes from that exam that ends our schooling life if someone makes it to that part of, the, um, of their schooling life. I remember wise words coming coming from one of my daughters. I'd been saying, hey, look, you know what? Let's keep it in perspective. It isn't the be-all and end-all. There are loads of ways to tackle um, life and to approach what you're next going to do. The most important thing is to find what you want to do and then, you know, uh, uh, then we see what matches that. Anyway. I'd been doing this clearly a couple of times and then she suddenly turned around and said to me, you know what, you're saying exactly the same thing as the teacher says. There's this expression, you know, don't worry, it's not not the be-all and end-all. But for 13 years you've been building up to this HSE, this great big monster mountain. And, And we've been taking our journey through winding paths and all sorts of different modes of transport to get to the top of this mountain, this HSC mountain. And now we're here, you're telling us all it doesn't matter. Yeah, tumbleweed moment. That's what it was for me. I literally sat there and went, ooh, yeah, awkward. You're completely right. We, we build up this HSC right from the first few days um, that they hit primary school or definitely secondary school. You're learning skills on revision. You're learning skills of how to learn and, and actually how best you learn. You're, you're, there'll be bits where they'll say, hey, look, you're going to need this in your exam and other bits that you don't need in your exam. Which do we place more importance on? You know, surely we place it more on the exams. Schools and, uh, and um, the governing bodies who decide what we're going to study have looked at this as well and said, okay, look, you know, it's a bit harsh having all of the, of the um, pressure on these finals GCSEs, O-levels, A-levels, HSEs, whatever it was we did, school certificates, you know, we need to actually build them up to do that. So now we have exams all the way through school. It used to be just in high school, but no, 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 now we're testing year threes, year fives, year sevens, year nines. You know, if we don't do well in the year nine, then actually... You can't potentially graduate without passing the basics of what you need to pass in year nine. And yet the first time they ran the you must pass or you don't, so many young people didn't make it. So what benchmark are we setting? And does anything, any of this, give us anything that is remotely relatable to life skills? 
how much of what we learn that we're testing on is actually applicable in other areas of our lives. When we look at where the pressure comes from, I've discovered, I guess, three, and and now I'm saying it, I feel there are four. It comes from parents. The pressure to do well, whether unspoken or spoken, comes from parents. It comes from the school, again, spoken or unspoken. And probably the one of the most insidious and the pernicious is the one that comes from themselves, the pressure that they put on themselves. Now, I've been looking at that pressure that, um, that you can put on yourself, and I've seen that what's underneath that is, you know, you don't want to disappoint anyone. You start associating success with love, and there's a very dangerous mishmash of those two. Because what we learn when we're very little is that if we draw inside the lines, if we colour in inside the lines, if we do what we're told and we behave, we get noticed and we get liked and we get loved. And when you hit teenagers, your your all of your body is saying independence. And sometimes... You have to speak up and speak out and, and start be, you know, letting go of that need to be loved and liked. In fact, you, need, you let go of the need to be approved of. Um, I don't think you ever lose the, the real deep-seated need to be loved um, if you haven't learned to love yourself first and foremost. So when, it, when we look at then and take it away from ourselves and look at it as parents children start and i'm i'm saying children here on purpose i'm saying that's under 12 um they need our love and they will do what is needed to get our love and they won't want to disappoint us because then they'll disappoint us and that's one of the hardest things to get over in all the research i've done in what affect adults and their choices and behaviors one of the biggest things is that they remember as an emotional trauma from their childhood is disappointing their parents. Yeah, go figure. Don't use it as a, um, a, a as something you can proudly use as a manipulation tactic. It's something we should never abuse, ever, ever abuse. What about schools? Well, you know what? Um, gosh, I really wanted those awards at the end of my year. Never really got some of them, but really desperately wanted them. How many of us fit into that bracket? How many of us desperately want approval and and will do anything to get it? Sometimes not doing things that we really are very proud of to do it. We're going to go to some community service announcements now. When we come back, we're going to keep looking at that. We're going to look at, you know, how the brain is developing, the pressures and some um, skills that we use to handle those pressures listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Welcome back. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. This morning, we are talking all about um, exam process, um, the HSC, the baccalaureate, the um, GCSEs, your A-levels, whatever they may be, high stress situations and whether or not they um, like how we can approach them in a way that doesn't doesn't completely destroy us, doesn't lead to so much anxiety that actually all the work that we've done counts for nothing because our brain cannot recall in a stressful moment and then it increases the anxiety even worse. But from a brain process, if you are anxious and if you are nervous, your body thinks that there is something life-threatening it needs to deal with. So memory kind of is not high on its list of priorities which you know kind of makes a little bit of a problem when uh, you have in your memory the things that you need to actually alleviate that anxiety i was wondering whether or not you know where where we need whether we need this high level of pressure in exams where whether it gives us a life skill that we can use uh, later on in our lives I often talk to the teenagers that I work with about seeing it as a life skill that they're going to learn. We approach it three different ways. We look at 
the fact that in um, an office environment or in a project-based environment, you might well be asked to, to work on a number of projects at any one time. You may well be asked to deliver a number of projects in, in quick succession. You may well need to work with a group of people um, and and uh, have a lot of different personalities in a room at the same time and learn how to hold yourself and, and still value your opinion and your voice in those conversations. No different for, to, to a classroom, really, when you think about it. Um, how about the idea of how we cope with the stress and whether or not there are... Um, patterns of behavior there are ways of living that we can bring in that mean that we don't um, that we don't maybe sabotage ourselves before we actually get to the event itself whether it's a, a way of living that we embed in, as our normal so that actually as the exams come they actually just go as well that we're we're reliving a day and it yes it, it is it is a slightly more important day, but really is it? Could it be that we get to a place where it's just one more day? The sun is still going to come up. The sun is still going to set. How can we keep it in perspective like that? You know, let's, let's look at that. A lot of the ways that we cope with stress as adults is by drinking alcohol, by smoking, by perhaps taking medication, by exercise, by um, eating, gosh, so many different ways. Teenagers, you start noticing that they party more, but when they party, they tend to need to let off a lot more steam and so the party might be a bit more excessive. The relationships might be a bit more excessive. What are the reflections in their lives and what reflection do we give them of what's functional and dysfunctional stress coping mechanisms? Do we stay engaged, stay with our bodies or do we check out? Do we find any way to check out? I was having a conversation with, um, with someone about stress the other day and they were sharing with me that one of um, their relations dealt with stress um, openly by using, uh, so for, for them it was a whiskey and they were saying that they just actually needed to take the edge off it. And another friend of mine smokes because they, that takes the edge off it for them. Now, I don't say that there's anything wrong with either of those things. Um, medically, they're not helpful. Medically, it actually doesn't deal with why we're feeling stressed about a situation. It doesn't make the situation go away. It just means that we cope in that moment. So they're short-term solutions. What can we do in the long term? Is it about actually self-care and saying, okay, um, I need to build a foundation for myself so when those high-stress situations come up, I am less stressed, I'm less uh, anxious about what is coming up. So it's worth actually looking at what the reflection we offer. What is our role, perhaps, as parents? So let's look at that. What is our role as parents? Are we their friend? I leave a little bit of a gap there for you to have a consider. Are we their friend? I would say that I'm not my children's friends, but I'm equally not. There is no hierarchy of order of respect. I respect them. I expect them to respect me. And if we can both have a mutual respect and a standard of what is loving communication and what isn't, then we don't actually need a hierarchy. I will always set boundaries and I will. there are rules that, you know, if they're living in our home, my husband and I have a set of rules that they live by. That's fair. It's our home. You know, please don't walk, please don't come in at three o'clock in the morning, slamming doors, laughing at the top of your voice. That's not cool. There are people who are sleeping. There are people who have to get up and work the next day. There is a respect regardless of what you have chosen to do in your evening. I want to know where you are and who you're with. And that way, not from a control point of view, if anything goes wrong or if you need me and you're not, you're not able to tell me the details of where you are, I know where to come. I know who I might be able to call to come and support you. 
got to stop the whole thing of parents needing to control children. We are, uh, teenagers in particular, we need to empower them to be making smart, sensible decisions. Listen back to the interview that I did last week with the students from Mount St. Benedict College about wise decisions around alcohol and partying. It's really helpful. It's helpful for us as adults and as parents and as people who are around young people all the time to show that, you know, trying to control doesn't work. If, you, if, I am, if someone tries to control me, I will push that back very quickly. I have no desire to be controlled by anyone. As a result, if someone tells me, well, you know, my poor parents, when someone told me not to do something, I was far more likely to do completely the opposite. I was far more likely to want to stay out late, to want to perhaps not tell them where I'm going because I know they needed and wanted to know. So, you know, we've got to understand that there is a part of the brain that is that is designed and it's creating pathways that that say it is very important in your life to be independent. That doesn't mean alone. It doesn't mean isolated. It means independent, making responsible choices, being accountable for your own actions and your decisions. That's what our role is as parents. Let's build... Um, a foundation and a space for our young people to be able to do this with exam stress as well, with anxiety. Let's learn life skills. So, how do we? How do we? Um, c- how could we reflect that as parents? Well, what if we accept that it's going to be um, perhaps there's going to be more pressure on them than normal. However, there is still a standard of respectful communication and respectful relationships that we're going to ask for in the home. So it doesn't mean that just because they're stressed, they can spew. It doesn't mean that just because they're stressed, they can have more arguments. There may be a heightened sense of tension, which may lead to more um, uh, fiery conversations, more, uh, more tension built up in the house and the home. But we're all equally responsible for that. Asking someone how they are, waiting for the answer asking what support you can offer. And having been an individual who perhaps found it difficult to ask for help and let people in, be aware that that might be something that they find difficult too. In the lead up to those final years, how good were we at listening when they actually needed some help? How good were we at putting down our phone or not going out or stopping what we were doing to actually listen when the subtle requests for support came through i don't know about you but i like i put my hands up and legs and feet and anything else that can go up in the air and say i'm not sure that i was too crash hot at doing that in the in the uh years as they were coming up to some of their stressful moments i'm realizing that i could learn from them and have learned from them over the past few years and i can now share that with you so perhaps you can start that earlier You could start it as they're growing up, that there's a moment where you truly hear when someone needs some support. Stay with us because after the news, we're actually going to talk about um, food and how, I mean, I remember when we had, when when it came up to the, the food situation and what, you know, people eat under stress. You know, I have public health hat on here um the foundations that we lay for how we deal with stress they actually affect us all the way through our lives they lay foundations for how we'll deal with stress and what we'll do and what we'll eat all the way through and if you think about the growing rise of um, obesity and the um, addictions to sugar and to um, foods that, that just don't sustain us they don't offer anything you've got we've got to actually have that conversation so that perhaps we can offer different choices as we go through so I'm going to be joined um, on the phone by Nina Staby from the healing ingredient for that and that's actually an interview that I funnily enough did a couple of years ago so I might sound a smidgen younger in the interview uh, but that all that's coming up and then we're also going to talk about exercise and the importance of movement in the body and um, you know when you get really tense how the body can tense up and just actually a a short walk around the block can change the connective tissue in our body so that the brain is freed up to to think and contemplate and study and just breathe again 
You are indeed listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. This morning's show, we are talking about exam pressure, the HSC, the baccalaureate, the um, uh, the GCSEs, A-levels, <gasps> remembering the O-levels and the school certificate, all of those situations and actually looking at whether they offer us life skills beyond the insanity of the study and the exams and the results. I thought the song that I played just before we went to the news was actually quite a smart one. I didn't actually realise quite how smart I'd been until I start, I was listening to the words. But, you know, it's, it's good riddance. And then in brackets, it's got the time of your life. So I... I I always say, let's say good riddance to the stress. Let's say, I mean, you know, I know that um, the teenagers that I work with and my kids will probably go good riddance to the exams. But what if we said, actually, you know, that's something we have to do. We have to tick a box. We have to kind of complete a certain level. And education is incredibly important when you look at it in the the, um, whole picture of what helps us stay healthy in life we do you know a a foundation and an opportunity to study what you want when you want and how you want is actually quite important but let's not see it as anything but the time of our life let's just embrace whatever is there to be seen and not dread it and not make it bigger than ben-hur or bigger than it needs to be because when we do everyone around us does and if as parents we do which is the majority of people or adults that listen to this show we will then emanate that from our body from our non-verbal communication that this that the students in our lives have to be very concerned about what's going to happen even if it's not coming out of our mouth it will ooze through our skin now before the break i promised that we would um have an interview with Nina Staby from The Healing Ingredient. And of course, you know what? Perfect opportunity. Nina talks to us about the relationship between the digestive system and the nervous system. So enjoy Nina Staby and um, the digestive system and the nervous system. In the experience of the amount of people that you see every week, how many present with nervous issues and stomach issues, stomach digestion issues? Oh, look, I would say probably in the vicinity of about 85 to 90% of people, if not a bit higher. I'm being a little bit conservative here. But That's huge. Yeah, pretty much every second person, uh, more than every second person, um, walks in with one or the other or both because essentially they go hand in hand. If you've got nervousness or worry or anxiousness or a bit of stress, that literally chemically turns off the way that your digestive system can work and do its job. Is that because it's busy trying to prepare you to run away from, you know, the danger, the saber-toothed tiger or whatever? Yes, exactly. That's, there's, in the nervous system, it's a very clever system and there's an on switch and there's an off switch for the nervous system. That's the only two things it knows, being on or being off. And so when that saber-toothed tiger wants to eat you for dinner, your nervous system switch goes on. And when it goes on, you are chemically geared to save your life. That's the top priority in the world for you right then and there, is to run as fast as you can away from that saber-toothed tiger. And that says to your body, pump all the the blood and the energy to your legs so that you can run fast, to your lungs so that you can breathe and pant to help you run to your arms, to your eyes. And so it shunts all the blood and energy to every bit of your body other than your digestion because it says, hey, sweetheart, don't even worry about digesting your food while the saber-toothed tiger is trying to eat you. Just run as fast as you can. So when you're in that switched-on state of the nervous system, it basically tells your body, your digestive system, to be demoted to secondary importance and so that's why we find that a lot of people have bloating or gas or diarrhea or constipation as a result of that nervousness anxiousness worry etc because it's all festering in there undigested because you've turned it off you've turned everything off exactly yes nice 
or not nice, really. Or not nice. <laughs> yeah, because it, what happens is if that switch, the uh, nervous switch is on, then it means that you can't digest. Mm. So rather than digest, the eater or the person actually ferments their food and that's why you get a lot of gas and a lot of right. kind of really bad smelling farts at times as okay. well too because the food actually ferments. So that's the reason why. Right. Well, that makes so much sense, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a very... This is a beautiful thing about the body, Lucy, is it's so integrative. Like, you can't separate out one system from the next. And it's really interesting if we're going to come back to stress because there's a real... I love the thing with stress because it can even be a perceived stress or a thought that might not even be real that switches the nervous system to its on switch. Mm. So, you know, it can just play havoc with us once it's switched on and then lead to a ripple effect in other systems. So, you know, that whole integrative chain, as you will, um, you know, a thought can affect your nervous system, your nervous system can affect your digestive system. And then if that keeps going, then that affects other parts of your body too. It's interesting because I think sometimes with stress, you, it can be there for so long that it becomes normal. So you don't actually know that you're stressed anymore, that that's just your normal state. And if, if your digestion is off and actually you're no longer aware that it's off, that uh, over a long period of time, that, that's quite serious, isn't it? Yeah, it can lead to chronic inflammation, um, irritation of the lining of the gut, immune system things, uh, a feedback thing called leaky gut syndrome as well that can affect your mood if that happens and your energy levels because what happens is if you're maldigesting because of the stress switch being on, then you malabsorb all the nutrients from your food so you actually don't get the whole complement of the foods that you're eating to do their job for you. So you find that a lot of people get um, low iron or low zinc or um, magnesium, for example, okay. because they're maldigesting because of the digestive switch is off because the, the stress switch is on. Uh, okay, this is probably um, off topic, but is that why you're constantly, you know, some people are constantly hungry so that actually you're not digesting enough to actually make yourself feel full? Look, that could be one possibility. Another possibility, too, is if you've got that stress response going on and you're thinking that there's always a saber-toothed tiger wanting to eat your butt, um, <laughs> sometimes that can make your food pass through you very quickly. So if it's passing through you very quickly, then you, you might get hungry a lot more often. Yeah. Yeah. Feed the nervous system, yes. Just as if you're yeah. a, a runner. You Well, obviously, we're talking about running away from the saber-toothed tiger, so it, it makes sense, but... It, it's just not its not um, hungry in the right way, is it? It sounds like you're just feeding a, a pattern that just isn't really helping you. That's right, yeah, because it just creates that, that, that rut again and again and again and you keep going around the same cycle. There's got to be a way that we can stop that cycle from playing out. I've got two little sayings that I'm, I'm promoting at the moment. The first is chill out and chew. A lot of us are what I would call a fast eater. And so we would hoover our food in less than three minutes or four minutes. And so that also has an effect on the digestive system. So if you've got the stress going on, you're eating really quickly because you don't feel you've got the time to take to eat and chew and enjoy your meal, you just eat on the go. You might eat in the kitchen standing up, watching TV in front of the computer. Mm. Um, a lot of these modern foods, don't even really need to be chewed so well. You can just kind of gulp and swallow. <laughs> so chill out is kind of like giving your body an opportunity to go, you know what, you don't have to keep running from that saber-toothed tiger. Pull out a seat, sit your butt down. It's okay. You can take eight minutes to have your lunch rather than four. <laughs> and so it's all about chilling out and then just give yourself the opportunity to actually chew your food and um, just something as simple as that can help start to reorganise those systems in the body. And then the second one that I've been mucking around with is SPP. And that 
stands for slow down, presence with while you're eating, and pleasure. We're actually allowed to enjoy our food. You know, a lot of us um, deny ourselves the pleasure of food. So the SPP is all about, you know what? We don't need to be in a rush and we don't need to have that pressure of the saber-toothed tiger wanting to eat us at every meal. It's okay to slow down, take your time and enjoy it and get pleasure out of it. Yeah, I can imagine there's something quite healing about um, that whole sitting down and enjoying your own company or enjoying the company of just enjoying the process of maybe even making the food that that's something too you know it's absolutely and for the students you know that are studying that are stressed at the moment um it's it's great to have a break and actually get into the kitchen and go yeah what am i going to have that can actually support my body and i can enjoy this break and allow myself to come back out of that stress response while I'm having that break. Very important, because we really do promote the, the just take the time out from the study. Uh, and, and this is, as you say, one really good way to, to balance both. But don't take your food back to your desk and eat it at your desk. Take it sit outside. <laughs> sit, sit somewhere good else. Good point, Lucy. Absolutely. And, you know, most adolescents and young adults that I work with, they love to cook. They love to invent. They might yeah. not like cleaning up, but... You know, it's a great stress relief. It's a great pleasure. It's a great um, skill to be able to have at that point in your time and take into later life as well. I remember running a um, a very simple basic cooking classes for some teens a little while back during the holidays. And I remember putting a whole load of things out on the bench and saying, okay, so we can combine whatever we want here. And the combinations they made were so good. And I'd said, you know, I will try everything you make. So can you imagine <laughs> what they, you know, what they came up with? But there were some really good ones, you know, things like uh, lettuce and... Um, uh, there were lettuce and and nuts or lettuce and apple or lettuce and um, lettuce with apple with nut butter. I think it was sunflower butter or something, but it was, you know, just bananas combinations and, you know, the jam with peanut butter, which they'd all tried, I had not tried, um, but on lettuce. Oh, jam and peanut butter is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm. I hadn't had it before. It was actually quite nice, but I can see myself getting addicted to it because I don't need any encouragement with sugar. So Watch out, loud and clear. Yeah. Sugar-free clear. jam. That's right, sugar-free jam. Um, so that's, that's actually a good snack, coming to something like that, Lucy. Like, mm-hmm. if you had a piece of apple or pear with some nut butter... That is actually a really good quality snack if you're studying. It helps regulate your blood sugars. It gives you a bit of um, support. It can keep you focused and keep your concentration solid so that you don't have those really sugar highs and sugar lows. Yeah. So that's actually a good one. And maybe then blueberries and nuts would be another good one that's a little, you know, just the blueberry because it's just easy to have on hand. Absolutely, yeah. And what if you're allergic to nuts? What could you have as your sort of combination that sort of slows down the sugar? Because I'm assuming that that it's the it's the combination of the nut with the slightly more sugary food, like the apple yeah. or the yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're allergic to nuts, a lot of people can have coconut. Okay. So either coconut milk, coconut cream, or coconut flesh. Yeah. So you know, a uh, thing that's quite hot at the moment is you know chia pudding that you can make with. Um, coconut milk okay. and chia seeds and that's some blueberries for example or raspberries gorgeous and yeah very easy to make don't need to cook it you just put it in a jar put all the ingredients in and shake it because you sound like this is a way of living as opposed to a diet or anything that really for you it's uh, um, and how you how you share it with others is it's about changing the way you think about food as opposed to um, going on a diet and dealing with sugar or dealing with stress would that be would that be correct or have I made an assumption there that isn't no well smithed out it's it's what I call now my style of life you know it's this is just my groove and this is part of who I am and I had very um, sick intestines and digestive system many years ago so it was it was really important for me to look after myself 
and learning that, I guess, how to look after myself and what foods do what to your stomach and your immune system and your mood and all those kinds of things. I learned a lot about food and it's almost kind of sparked off a, a foodie revolution, so to speak. So I don't want to put anything in my body that's going to bring it down or harm it. And I don't like suggesting to other people that they buy products that are going to hurt them or contribute to a lifestyle disease like diabetes or um, obesity. So it's a style of life. And if we can inspire adolescents and kids now to go, you know what? Don't buy the crap products. Feed yourself real food. Yeah. We're going to, you know, do a good stead. Do you ever have moments where you crave something that you know you would probably would not be helpful in your body? And how do you handle those moments, presuming that you Good might have one question. or two? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look, there's two ways I go about it. Sometimes I actually, well, let me just say there's, there's a love bar that I have. I oh. will not have gluten, dairy or refined sugar. Okay, so, so that's your bar. Was, you don't go below that bar. bar. Okay. Never, no. So, for example, um, I might have gluten-free, dairy-free, yeast-free pizza and then we'll have um, dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free ice cream. Okay. So, I can still have it, but I'm very discerning as to what I have. Yeah. Or sometimes if I want cookies, I'll make myself some almond or hazelnut cookies, um, maybe with a little bit of stevia or I'll make myself an almond pancake and puree some strawberries and put it on top. So I still have things, yeah. but they're just more gentle to my body. I like that, the love bar. Mm. That's going to be one yeah. we write down to remind everyone at the end of the okay. end of the, the show. And, and I like it. it could be a love bar in, in terms of stress and anxiety. We could bring the love bar in. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good one. So just to recap, Nina, we've got chill out and chew. Rock on. SPP, slow down. Definitely. Presence, pleasure, and the yes. love bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really important to have practical tools to help you through every day. Thank you so much, Nina. Mm, thanks for having me. Speak with you later. Till next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Where's your love bar? Where is our love bar? Where is it? Do we have one at home? Do we have one that says, look, you know what, you may well feel like, um, you know, the, the sugar is going to give you the big hit, but it's also going to give you that big dip afterwards. So what can what can you provide that um, that offers and what decisions can we make about our own choices? And these are, you know, again, what we're trying to raise is independent adult to make their own choices. But what environment can we create that offers uh, foods that regulate blood sugars. Um, make good food staples, you know, whether they be bolognese, stir fry, salads. It's coming into a great season for salads. I'll put on a couple of um, really good websites that I personally have used to help me regulate my blood sugars and to look for, you know, a real mixture of salads, of, of um, family meals, but also of. Uh, um, what's the you know desserts, sweets, treats, things like that, things to make for school lunches. So I um, subscribe to the eight week program from this or this uh, company called Live Love Nourish. You don't have to do that. It just I really just didn't have the capacity to think, and so in this organisation they gave me a day by day, meal by meal menu. They gave me a list of things that I should have in the cupboard and my shopping list and my. Uh, you know Sunday or whatever the uh, the day before the week was in your house the, the you know what to do on those days what to make in advance so I found that really helpful I would um, suggest that you, you know, maybe look to do that for yourself if it isn't from an organization and and find the free recipes out there they really are there you just got to kind of look for them again I say in the beginning of this show we have so much support in our community it is there if you look for it. And Nutrition Australia have so much information on on this and on foods that are supportive. Nina has some on her website. So all of those things I'll put on the website afterwards. So don't go away because after the break, we have got um, Stephen Gamak who's going to be live on the phone and talking to us about 
you know, movement and exercise and the importance of that to, to deal with stress. Welcome back, Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. What a morning. We have been talking about the HSC, about exams, the baccalaureate, the GCSEs, your O-levels, your A-levels, whatever it may be, exam pressure, exam stress, the effect that it has on our bodies. And really, if there are skills beyond the insanity of the study, the exams and the results that we can look at. Now, when you have a lot on your plate... The last thing you want to consider sometimes is healthy food or exercise. We've looked at what um, the importance of that food. We've looked at the importance of that. And now we're going to look at the importance of exercise, of movement, of changing the way we're sitting or walking or moving and how it can help our, our physical and our mental health. Let's welcome Stephen on the line. Hello, Stephen. Good morning, Lucy. Now, Stephen, you have you have done an awful lot. You obviously um, work in in sports therapy and um, as an exercise instructor, but also you were a triathlete and a sports person, weren't you? And there's been a change in the way you approach your exercise now. Because I, I mean, I've I've known you for the work that you've done in in aged care and with young people. Can you um, can you tell us about how you went from being such a like highly you know intense motivated athlete to then look at that slightly bigger picture? Sure. Yeah, I certainly certainly can, Lucy. Um, exercise for me is something that has changed a lot over the years. And I mean, obviously, listening to a bit of your show this morning. I, it really takes me back to those times where I um, would be studying for exams and was cooped up in a room, um, and all I wanted to do was get my body moving and you know get into some sort of intense exercise as a way of kind of relieving myself from the boredom or the tension I felt from studying. Um, but more widely, I, I exercised a lot um, through my earlier years and my twenties into my thirties. Um, where I did quite extreme exercise. So I would take part in triathlons um, and, you know, extreme events, long-distance uh, cycling events, marathons, those kind of things. Um, and I just slowly came to the realisation, it wasn't overnight, but I slowly came to the realisation that I, I wasn't actually very healthy in my body through that um, exercise that I was doing, through my chosen form of exercise. You know, I would wake up tired, um, I wouldn't have a lot of energy to communicate with people. Um, and I just wasn't particularly content or happy with my life as it was, even though I would be doing, you know, what was seen as quite quite well in, in sport. Um, at the time, I was also, uh, as I still am now, was working in, you know, health and sports. So, you know, was giving that message to other people. But what I just felt changed was that this wasn't really it for me about what exercise could be and how it could make me feel. Um, and over time, I've just slowly developed a different relationship with, with exercise, one where it's much more about staying in tune with what my body feels. So every day we're going to be different. Some days we're going to feel like we want to you know, go a little bit harder, do a little bit more. Um, harder is probably the wrong word, but you're doing that a little bit more exercise. And then some days we really need to take it light and just, just keep it really simple. And so I think that's really relevant for people as well with what you're talking about today in terms of studying. Yeah, I, look, I picked up on two things that you said there. One is exercising for relief, that there's a buildup of tension that you actually just need to get out of your body. And we're smart. We know that movement's going to do it. So we go um, into the gym and, you know, like like really work at it to, to get that out. And it's almost that adrenaline rush we get, which count it's the endorphins that come that counter the adrenaline or like combine with it you know there's just so many hormones going mm. it's difficult to know whether you're lifting yourself up or settling yourself down yeah i mean well it's quite interesting as well because earlier this year there was a study came out um with regards to exercise and anger um you know which obviously is an emotional response and how if you exercise when you were angry you would uh, triple your risk of a heart attack wow now we're not obviously saying that people, everyone's angry, but if you think of anger as an emotional response and then you look at something like exam stress um, in this situation, 
it's an emotional response in the body um, which could be triggered um, by a high intensity of exercise. So it's why we really need to consider the way we exercise, the way we move when we um, when we come to do it. Um, because we definitely don't want people to not exercise, but we really need to be a little bit more aware of how we are when we do go to you know, to go to the gym or or go if to do a run or whatever it might be, how the build up of what we have in our body is going to affect us in that in that state, that heightened state. So let's go there. When when we're studying, when you know, the, sometimes you're you're studying at the last minute. Let's take that as a you know a, a case in point. You haven't really done very much through the year, so you kind of realise that you know you've got to do some intense studying. So you're sitting down potentially for four hours at a go, maybe taking a five ten minute break and then going again. What does that do to your body and its connective tissue? So, yeah, well, if we're talking about connective tissue, you know, that's the, the fascia that surrounds the whole of the musculature in the body and, and is even being considered to be part of the bone structure now. So if we think about our body in terms of its natural state is one where it's very relaxed. So that's a normal way of being. That's, that's how we were meant to be. So when we get put into the situation of the stress and tension of an exam where we have these expectations to perform it's very difficult not to be taken out of that natural state. So it's very difficult not to change our rate of breathing, change the way we breathe and change the quality we breathe in. And it's why we talk about movement being so diff- uh, so important um, when we are in that kind of situation, almost to reconfigure our, uh, the body, sort of bring it back to where it, where it was before, where it needs to be. Because if we think about what's happening to the body, if we're short of breath, so if we feel tense, we gen- generally kind of don't take as much air in. And we, in, in that, we're not getting the flow of oxygen to the muscles, to the connective tissue. And because of that, it's then going to shorten. So your body's going to feel restricted, constricted. You're going to feel like everything just feels that much more difficult to do. Um, and I think anyone who's been in a stressful situation of any kind can relate to that, where things just don't seem to flow. Your body just feels like it's not quite right mm. so in that regard it, the way that from before we even get to the point where we think about moving the, the way that we breathe is so important and obviously the way we breathe taking into exercise is really important um and on that note i had a very interesting um question yesterday at one of my classes um i teach this class um and i i teach it in a way where i, I instruct that they breathe in and out through the nose and the lady at the end asked me, I understand the breathing in through the nose because that's how she's been taught, but she's never had anyone else say breathe out through the nose. It's always been through the mouth. Now, my response to that was that I feel breathing out through the nose just allows your body to get closer to that relaxed state that I was talking about. And I find personally, and you can conduct your own little experiments like this, but it's much more difficult to regulate your body breathing out through the mouth it feels more like a kind of fight-or-flight response, just not quite that same amount. So quite a long-winded answer I'm giving you, but I guess the the differences it's making in our body when we're in this situation is that we feel tense, our breathing is more likely to be erratic, and our body's going to be, um, going to be tensing up. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense because you're, if you're breathing in and out of your mouth then, as you say, there isn't that that fine-tuned level of connection. So you, very often when we need to breathe in and out of our mouth, it's because we're, we're needing more oxygen to keep us uh, conscious. Um, but is that possibly that we're going beyond what our body actually needs in that moment? So it's almost like why you're exercising, uh, you know, as opposed to what, where, how you're going to breathe as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's it's what you say is it feels spot on. It's about the fine tuning. Mm. So the breathing through your nose allows for that fine tuning. And then if we take that into our exercise, then it allows us to do that exercise without losing that con- uh, that control of, of what we need from the exercise. Yeah. And what we generally need from the exercise is more just a, a changing of our movement patterns that we might have got stuck in from being sitting in one place, getting stressed, having all these 
sort of feelings about um, overwhelm, perhaps to do with um, having to get this result um, in exams. So are you saying that uh, when you're sitting in one place, you can have all of those thoughts and you can have all of those stresses and that actually if you move, like uh, does it does it only need to be round the block or does it need to be maybe to the photocopier and back or something or to the bathroom and back, that that can shift those the tension in your body that quickly that it doesn't need to be a big hour-long session? It could be so much shorter? It can be really short. I think that's the thing, that's the beauty of it. You, you generally recommend maybe you get 10 minutes away, that 10-minute break. What you do in that time... Even within the first minute, the fact that you've stood up and you've changed your position, it allows your body um, to release some of that stress, to let it go, because the body doesn't want to hold on to this. And so it's always looking for ways to get rid of it. And we can kind of have a little bit of a joke when we think of the, the, um, you know, the students who have elected to wash the dishes at home or do a household chore rather than go back to their studies. But there's something within that that's very much about the movement and the fact that the movement is allowing that release. Um, obviously, if that's carried on too long, then it's a delay and you're procrastinating. But, yeah, in answer to your question, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes a small amount of movement to allow the body to get itself back. And so you, you can feel that more relaxed, natural state and feel healthier. I'm also um, sitting here smiling because I'm thinking about exercise and it, you know, there are times where it just makes me smile or I'm so, you know, I, I, it's so awkward or I'm so bad at something, I just laugh or I'm just not quite as fluid and um, uh, as able as some of the other people maybe in a group exercise class. There's a bit of humour in it as well that's actually quite relaxing for the body, isn't there? And maybe is that where group exercise can be quite good through the through that whole year and through, you know, as you, as you, you know, make an, the importance of it? Yeah, I think, I mean, some people prefer to exercise on their own, but overall, a lot of people enjoy group exercise and there is something about coming together with other people to do things that can make it a lot uh, easier. I think most people will find if they've gone on a walk and they walk with someone else, they don't tend to feel as tired because they're, they're uplifted by being within other people's company um, and the body responds to that. We, we respond to that in a very happy, joyful way. Um, it's about finding what feels right for you, what fits for you. But, yeah, group work's definitely a great way to exercise. Lovely. Any other top tips, Stephen, before we head off? Yeah, I mean, I think just more generally overall with, with that exercise, knowing that you don't have to make it this full-on huge workout, that just it's about enjoying the body, stretching out, just moving, just lengthening the body. So in this kind of situation, you're counteracting the stress but really we want to, to be exercising before we get to that point and actually using it in everyday life so that we we have it as part of our foundation and that's really all just enjoy exercise and not don't ever compare with anyone else just make it about you do you know the the making it part of the foundation is everything that we've been talking about in the show so far because we've been saying that you know the stress and anxiety and the the meltdowns that happen around the HSC and uh, sometimes the, the the sadness of someone who just can't cope and and ends up attempting suicide comes from not having coping mechanisms and ways of living that are that that keep it all in perspective and exercise has to be part of that doesn't it to right from the get-go yeah definitely and uh, like that foundation it's such a, a great thing to do and, and often we'll find that people won't want to exercise it'll be a real struggle and then they'll start and within two to three minutes they're really enjoying it yeah it's like it's almost like a little bit of a block there and it's really just about you know saying, well, no, I'm, I'm worth exercising. I want to look after myself. Yeah. And it's a great way to do it. Great. Thank you very much, Stephen. You've given us another layer, another another shaft of coloured light in our rainbow that we're painting this morning. So thank you very much for, for well, joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Speak to you soon. Bye, sir. Bye. So how about that, listeners? We have got um, we've got quite a lot to to work on with that, haven't we? We've got food, we've got exercise, we've got the foundation that we're laying. They're all very important skills that help us build a way of living that keeps 
all the exam stress and all the responsibilities in perspective. Their conversations, you know, how, what is our study style? How do we study? Can we put feed into all of those, those habits and study styles a way of working that um, is a life skill as opposed to a means to an end just to tick that box? Are we visual, audio or tactile learners? Can we learn something about ourselves in the lead up to it? Um, do we need more stimulation and distraction or do we need quiet and order? Again, I, I, have, I have had um, two, two students go through it in my own house and both of them learned in very different ways. One needed lots of distraction and the other one needed no distraction at all. They both had the same upbringing. They both had the same foundation and yet they were both very different in how they approached it. And a lot of the young people that I work with, I can't say that any one tip and, and bit of guidance that I offer works for everybody. It's, it's very much you, you, you tweak it, you offer and then you help them tweak it to make it just right for them. So as parents, we can't say you need to work four hours a day or you need to study two hours a day you've got to you've got to know your young person inside out and say okay work with them what do you think would be a good schedule for today because they may need the support and the boundary of that of that um reminder that sitting and watching television all day or going out with your mates all day it's not going to help because then the pressure on the Monday when you haven't done the revision for those exams is going to hit you Uh, so you say okay where's the balance how long do you want on this how long do you want on that let me help you work out what a schedule looks like and then that's a life lesson that's something that they learn when they volunteer when they um, when they go out into the workforce when they're writing you know, when they've got a whole load of uh, deadlines and they don't know which one to, to prioritize, we're teaching them those skills of how to do that. But we must also ask if they would like our support. And if they say no, then there are other people within the community they may prefer that support from. Uh, and you've got youth workers left, right and centre who are prepared to help with that. So I work a lot with the people at Gordon um, AWOL, uh, which is the youth centre in from Kuringai in, in Gordon. Fantastic group of uh, people. We just did three lots of HSC lock-ins, which were awesome. But what we realised is that actually it would be great to offer that kind of support in the younger years. So keep an eye on the Facebook page. We will put some in for some of the younger years and, you know, you can come and have some fun. Do we, um, how do we deal with the expectations of others as adults and then how can we you know, make sure that we're not imposing that on the young people in our lives and in our communities. Do we value food and the effect that food has on our brain? Or do we see it as a get out of responsibility card and we can eat and indulge whatever we want for that year um, leading up to the HSC? There's a um, there's an expression, HSC gain five model, you know, like do we do we think that that's smart? How does it help? How does it not help? Does it build addictions? Does it build coping mechanisms? Do we value exercise and its effect on our body? The support it offers our hormones and the perspective it offers our nervous system. Look, as adults, I think we can learn a lot from what Stephen shared. And I could have done a whole show on Stephen. I think I'm going to have to to get him to come in because we only scrape the surface of what he understands about the body and how it works and how it helps us mentally as well as physically. So regardless of what has or is happening to you in your life, if you are at the start, middle and end of an exam period, you are and always will be you and you will be amazing. And the people around you will support you. They'll know, talking to you here, parents, that you are that parents are not the ones who are going through this. You're going through this. And we're also your support team. We're all your, your um, cheerleading squad. The key is to connect to the space within you and learn to build a relationship with your body so you can recognize when your body's trying to tell you something isn't quite right, when you're stressed. Don't wait for anxiety to become a major issue. Let's learn the symptoms of anxiety. Let's learn the symptoms of stress. Let's learn when communication in the house gets, gets tense and not lower the, the, the love bar for decency and respect, but actually say, hey, are you okay? 
not as a helicopter parent, I hasten to add, but as a support structure. Look for support in the local community, you know. Look for support in other people in your family. It is there, and we've just got to look for it and be open to receiving it. Now, the podcast for today's show will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud. And if you want to get updates, then remember to like the Stay in the Loop with Lucy Facebook page. And links to all of those spaces are, of course, on the Triple H homepage. Um, So till next week's show, remember to take a moment to look after you. Connect with the amazing people in our community. Be kind, be caring, be loved, be all of you. It has been wonderful to have you with me. Thank you very much for your company and I will see you next week. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.